Maybe once a year. And so I'm grateful that this is, this is that day for me. And as you've already heard, uh, we're in the midst of the summer and our summer series is all about eternity. Why does it matter? We appreciate uh, Kyle uh, creating that sermon bumper that gives us a, a glimpse, a sense of, of the ethereal nature of eternity. And we thank you, uh, Vernon and choir, for giving us that glimpse of heaven this morning. Um, and as Vernon referenced, our, our pastor has already shared with us what the Bible says about heaven and hell, and that's probably enough um, to answer the question. But since we're all gathered here today, we may as well press on and continue to explore this, this challenging topic. Uh, I would say to you uh, that Jesus' teaching is all based on the assumption of eternity. All of Jesus' teaching is, is based on the given, the assumption that there is an eternity. Uh, and his, his focus, his eye is always towards heaven. Uh, after Jesus' baptism, after he spent 40 days in the wilderness, uh, was tempted by Satan, uh, he began his, his earthly ministry. And Matthew tells us in chapter four, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. A few verses later, in uh, the next chapter, chapter 5, uh, Jesus tells his followers, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. He finishes that, that chapter, chapter five, by saying, uh, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. So we see this integration, this, this combination of both heaven and earth. It's, it's this now and not yet of, of living in the, the kingdom of God. And as Jesus taught us to pray, taught his disciples to pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we, we understand that heaven has come to earth in the person and work of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is our way to God and God's way to us. You and I, we are followers of the Jesus way. Pray with me. Father, this morning again, we pray that our, our hearts and minds would be open to you. May your spirit uh, take your word and apply it to our lives. Challenge us, Father, where we need to be challenged. Comfort us where we need to be comforted so that we might truly live as your people. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you afraid of? Think about it for a moment. What are you most afraid of? Well, there are lots of answers to that question, and it's, it's certainly personal to you. But the 2021 American Fear Index uh, gives us a survey of, of what people say they're, they're very afraid of or, or mostly afraid of. 
and 2021 is the most recent year that we have the data for. Uh, but listen to these top five 2021 American Fear Index responses. Number five, terrorism. Number four, not having enough money for retirement. Number three, mass shootings. Hmm. Number two, loved ones becoming seriously ill. And the number one answer Americans gave in 2021, loved ones dying. Now it's interesting because five years earlier, this very same American Fear Index in 2016 had uh, loved ones becoming seriously ill listed as number nine as opposed to number two. And that same year, uh, loved ones dying was listed as number six instead of number one. What was happening in 2021? COVID, COVID. And so uh, the, the survey says that in 2021, overall health issues and public violence emerged as the most pressing worries with financial strain, distrust of government, and environmental concerns looming alongside fears like crime, slimy creatures, and car crashes. This comprehensive study revealed that 45% of people are experiencing more daily anxiety and fear than they were 12 months ago. After a year of isolation and conflict, the idea of losing loved ones generates a great deal of fear. And that's understandable. Uh, you may also be interested in knowing uh, at the bottom of the list, the last three were uh, fear of lightning strikes, fear of ghosts, and fear of being abducted by aliens. Uh, <laughs> was the last one, so apparently that's not, a, not an imminent fear for, for most of us. Uh, but uh, there are different kinds of fears, and I think we, we realize that. Uh, there are healthy, constructive fears, and there are unhealthy, destructive fears. And you may know, or you may not know, the Bible has a lot to say about fear. Over 350 times, the Bible tells us to fear not. But almost 200 times, the Bible tells us to fear God. And there are lots of verses to that reference, but I want to read some of them to you. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Blessed are all who fear the Lord and walk in obedience to him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Through the fear of the Lord, 
a man avoids evil. Do not let your hearts envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You believe that there's one God. You do well. The demons believe and tremble. Since you call on a father who judges each, man, each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Well, God created us and he knows us and he wants us to have the right kind of fear. And at this point, uh, I think it's helpful to notice that there's a difference between fear and phobia. Uh, fear is an unsettling emotion provoked by impending danger. Phobia is an intense, persistent, irrational dread. I want you to think, what are some words that you've heard phobic related to or attached to recently? How have you heard the word phobia or phobic used? Lots of ways. Uh, and, and let's be quick to say there are certainly clinically diagnosed phobias related to spiders, snakes, heights, needles, germs. But that's often not how the word phobia is used today. In fact, uh, often when I hear the word phobia, it reminds me of the movie The Princess Bride, where Inigo Montoya says to Vizini, you keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. That's how I feel like uh, the word phobia is often used today. Uh, so when you hear the word phobia, first of all, I would say using the word phobia uh, to describe someone that you disagree with in a social or political situation is misguided. I would encourage you when you hear the word phobia or phobic used, ask yourself, does it reflect an irrational fear? Does it reflect healthy concern or caution? Or does it reflect deep moral conviction? Think about it. What if fear could be a good thing? What if the right kind of fear could put all other fears in proper perspective and help us uh, be guided towards eternal life? Well, there are lots of fears and phobias in the world, but unfortunately, there's not enough holy fear of Almighty God. As I read earlier, Proverbs 9:10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here's what that means. A profound, reverential, adoring awe of Almighty God overshadows 
all other fears and phobias. It's the starting point for true wisdom and understanding. And until we see ourselves as we really are and humbly submit ourselves to God, we just don't get it. Life doesn't make sense. Well, I want us to look at today's text, 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. So God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, so who is God's wisdom and righteousness and holiness and redemption available to? The smart people, the rich people, the powerful people, the people of noble birth? No, no. Uh, the wisdom of God the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the redemption of God is available to anyone who cries out in desperation, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, there's so much uh, to unpack in this passage, but I want us to focus on the first verse. 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, that language ought to sound familiar to you because this whole year we're reading through the Gospel of John. And this summer we're paying special attention to John 3.16. In fact, we distributed these signs. And if you haven't gotten one yet, they're available in the Welcome Home Center right outside these side doors. And we've asked you to, to take this with you as you travel this summer. And as you have opportunity uh, to, to take a picture with John 3.16, 
And we've asked you not just to have a family member or friend take the picture, but we want you to ask someone who might happen to be there to take the picture and see if that might not stimulate or spur a gospel conversation. But uh, John 3.16 is our emphasis this, this, this summer. And I'll tell you that uh, on Wednesday mornings, I have the privilege of sharing a brief devotional with uh, 150 teachers and, and children in our Child Development Center. And so uh, each week, we remind each other that God made me, God loves me, and God is my friend. God made me, God loves me, and God is my friend. And we also sing Jesus Loves Me together. But this, this past Wednesday, we quoted this verse to each other. And so I want us to do that this morning. And here's, here's how we did it, and here's how we'll do it. When I say he gave his only son, I want you to say it like you mean it, Jesus. When I say should not perish, you repeat, should not perish. When I say, but have eternal life, you repeat, but have eternal life. So let's give it a try. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. Should not perish. But have eternal life. Not bad. The preschoolers were a little better, but we'll, we'll try it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. Should not perish. But have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Well, all of this sounds a lot like Psalm 1, which I hope, as you know, is engraved in the baseboard around the sanctuary. And, and these familiar verses paint a very clear picture of, of two ways of life, of, of God's way and man's way, of, of the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. So I want to read that to you. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, but not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So who is the blessed and fruitful person? Well, it's the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Well, uh, these two ways to live are, are the natural way, based on love of self, human reason, worldly wisdom, or the supernatural way, based on love of God, God's revelation, and God's wisdom. And I would say the fear of the Lord uh, is grounded in all of this. Uh, let me share this, this thought with you. Holy fear of Almighty God is captivating, astounding, and magnetic 
It draws us in. It challenges our assumptions. It informs our perspective and it reveals truth. Trevin Wax, uh, in his book, The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Rediscovering the Adventure of Christian Faith, makes this statement. The church faces her biggest challenge, not when new errors start to win, but when old truths no longer wow. Tolkien once said that the most reg regrettable feature of human nature is how quickly we become unsatisfied with the good. We receive good gifts from God and then grow bored with the blessings. Spiritual dullness, blurry vision, hardness of heart. This is the challenge for the church. Uh, Trevin Wax also said in this book, very interesting statement, complacent Christianity causes compartmentalization a convenient separation of Christian truth from the beliefs that frame our day-to-day -day activities. Let me read that to you again. Complacent Christianity causes compartmentalization, a convenient separation of Christian truth from the beliefs that frame our day-to-day -day activities. Michael Iaconelli in his book, uh, Dangerous Wonder, makes this statement. The greatest enemy of Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus, but who are no longer astonished or amazed by him. I don't see much terror today among followers of Jesus. In fact, when I say that, people look at me as if I'm crazy. Well, I want to know what happened to the bone-chilling, earth-shattering, gut-wrenching, knee-knocking, heart-stomping, life-altering fear that leaves us speechless, paralyzed, helpless, and glad. The terror I'm speaking of is a mix of wonder, awe, fear, and worship, all happening at the same time. Some of my favorite, we've got time, some of my favorite illustrations of, of this kind of holy fear of God. First of all, uh, Isaiah chapter six, where the, the prophet says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with the two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Think about the sun. Can you stare at the sun on a clear summer day? Of course not. Go blind. And isn't that interesting because the sun is 93 million miles away. How can it be so powerful, so blinding? 93 million miles away, but you better take it seriously because it's a, a continuous 
series of nuclear hydrogen explosions that is felt very quickly, especially in Texas in the summer. So you better, you better take the sun seriously. Another one of my favorite illustrations of holy fear is in Mark chapter four. Uh, after Jesus had been teaching and healing, he said to the disciples, uh, let's get in the boat and go back to the other side of the lake. So they get in the boat and they're rowing back to the other side and a storm comes up. And Jesus, exhausted, is asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat, and, and water starting to come over the side of the boat. And so the disciples go and, and wake Jesus up and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're drowning? And so you know what happens. Jesus speaks and he calms the storm. And it's fascinating because the Bible says, then the disciples were terrified. They'd been in storms before, but it wasn't until Jesus spoke the word and calmed the storm that they were terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? Who is this? I also love C.S. Lewis' character of, of Aslan, this, this beautiful Christ-type character in uh, Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. So let me read this familiar passage to you. Who is Aslan? Asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time. But the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. She won't turn him into stone too, said Edmund. Lord love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say, answered Mr. Beaver with a great laugh. Turn him into stone? If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face, it'll be most that she can do and more than I expect of her. No, no, he'll put all to rights, as it says in an old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him, asked Susan? My daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man, asked Lucy? Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beast? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan, without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. There are many more examples, but you get the idea. 
Last Monday's uh, daily Bible reading in Ephesians reinforces today's text. And I want to share it with you briefly. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Those last three words in the Greek, Sophia Kai Phronesis is wisdom and understanding. It talks about two kinds of wisdom. There's this uh, transcendent wisdom, and then there's practical wisdom. And the Holy Spirit imparts to followers of Jesus both of these. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us both this transcendent divine truth and then the practical godly application of that truth in everyday life. The Apostle Paul explains that a lot more in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, which I, I hope you also read this week. So I want to ask you, as followers of Jesus, uh, certainly we know that um, our righteousness and our salvation are from God. But do we also realize that our, our wisdom and understanding are from God as well? We, we trust God for our salvation, but we trust God for, for, for our wisdom, for our understanding. To put it another way, apart from God, there is no true righteousness or wisdom. Today's text finishes with uh, an encouragement and a warning. Uh, it says, be thoughtful, be careful about what you boast about or take pride in. This past month, we were inundated again with an emphasis on pride from a very worldly perspective. Uh, but this passage reminds us that such boasting is foolishness and misplaced. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.31 warns us, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is likely a reference by Paul to Jeremiah 9.24. But let him who speaks with pride speak about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who shows loving kindness and does what is fair and right and good on the earth. For I find joy in these things, says the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, last uh, month, as we did back in, in 2022, the last month we also read through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes in our daily Bible readings. And that book concludes with this summary. Now all has been heard, so here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And in closing, I, I want to share um, with you my conclusion of the matter. From a human perspective, the gospel has always been scandalous and moronic. In every age, the things of God have been ignored and mocked. There's nothing clever, cool, or trendy about it. It's not designed to titillate, distract, or entertain. The gospel is the opposite of proud self-promotion. It's humble self-denial. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul?
So, final points. Final four points. Holy fear of Almighty God is the beginning of true wisdom. Followers of Jesus must have an eternal perspective. Our righteousness and our wisdom come from God and we'll never fully embrace the Jesus way if we don't take God seriously. Next month in August, uh, our pastor will be preaching a series of sermons on the supernatural, um, be focusing on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we wanna spend that month of August fervently praying for a new school year and a new church year, uh, asking God to prepare us for what, what he has in store. And in the fall, in September and October, uh, we'll be focusing on the church. And um, we want to spend that nine-week series asking all of our adult Bible study groups to go through uh, apologetic catechism that we put together uh, to help us all have a grounding in sound doctrine, to make sure we all have the right foundation to our faith. And also, uh, during that time, we want to begin to launch some missional table groups. You heard Luke in the welcome, if you were here, talk about the need for each of us to have non-Christian friends, people that we're living out our faith with, uh, people that we're teaching what we're learning, uh, so that we don't become a dead sea. We're, we're always taking in, but there's no outflow. We need to be sharing what we're learning with others. And so uh, we want to launch some missional table groups that will help us actively embrace uh, what we call the FBCA lifestyle. And let me remind you, if you've forgotten or unfamiliar, uh, the F stands for feed yourself spiritually. It's about being responsible. No one else can do that for you. You're responsible for feeding yourself spiritually. We want you to bless others generously. We want you to, to live a, a life with an open hand that's, that's blessing generously other people. We want you to connect with others intentionally. That's part of the missional table groups, is being intentional about your relationships and seeking uh, to engage non-Christians so that you can help them find new life in Christ. And then the A is for advance God's kingdom faithfully. Always, we're seeking to uh, be citizens of the kingdom of God and advance his kingdom faithfully. So all that's coming in the fall, hope you'll be excited about it, looking forward to it. Well, let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you both for the salvation, the righteousness that comes from Jesus, and I pray that each of us would seek after the wisdom that comes only from you. Uh, these are challenging days that we're living in, and we want to live well in them. We want, as uh, Jesus challenged us at the end of Matthew 5, to, to live our lives in such a way that uh, people see how we live and give praise to our Father in heaven. Uh, so help us to do that. Uh, even this summer, even the month of July, as, as we're traveling, things are different, unsettled. God, help us to pray for those divine appointments where we'll be able to engage others and represent you well. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.